All right. Hello and welcome to another uh, special episode here on the COTR Presents feed. Uh, today, I'm I'm your host, Eric, uh, and I'm going to be joined by two other uh, members of the Lord of the Rings card game community. But we are not going to be talking about anything particularly uh, Lord of the Rings related tonight. This is a special episode that I'm calling Shardboard of the Rings. Uh, so we're going to be looking into the Brandon Sanderson Cosmere universe uh, after one of his most recent Mistborn books just came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, so tonight I am joined uh, first off by another member of the Cardboard of the Rings uh, behind the scenes crew here, Mark. How are you doing here today, Mark? Doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, been a busy day, but I've been looking forward to to sitting down here and talking some Cosmere basically since I woke up this morning. So quite excited <laughs> to be here. Same. Yeah. And then also joining us uh, tonight is uh, Matt, who you might know from uh, Discord or from the Card Talk uh, blog as Cat Attack. How are you doing tonight here, Matt? Great. Thank you guys both for, for coming in carving out some time to talk about this i know from from pre-show talks that all three of us were kind of in a similar boat here where we were all uh very excited to just kind of get to sit down and and talk some some brandon sanderson with each other right most definitely like you i've been looking forward to this pretty much all day (laughs) yeah so one quick order of business before we kind of start getting into what we're going to talk about and all these sorts of things is this episode is going to be full spoilers for uh, the entire Cosmere. So basically any book that Brandon Sanderson has read, we might discuss major plot point or not read. He, I assume he's read them, but written. We're going to be probably discussing major plot points for them. Uh, so if you've just started reading Mistborn or maybe the first book of the Stormlight Archives or something like that, this is probably an episode that you'll not want to listen to here <laughs> tonight at the moment, right? Yeah, definitely Mistborn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely Mistborn. This is uh, a lot of discussion on the seventh book in his Mistborn, or maybe eighth, depending on how you choose to count there. Emperor's uh, Soul is probably also a big spoilerific central part of this. Yes, yes, indeed. So tonight, how we're going to kind of run it down, we got a couple main bullet points that we're going to go through to start off with. So we're going to talk a little bit of background from each of us how we got into reading Sanderson's books, how in-depth we've gotten into reading it, that sort of thing. Um, Then we're going to go into a full discussion of The Lost Metal, the recent final book in the second era of his Mistborn series. Uh, And then, time permitting, we're probably going to do a little bit of a a look into what we might like to see in some tabletop games set in his universe, since, you know, all three of us are quite involved in a Lord of the Rings tabletop game. Thought that might be a, a fun discussion here as well. Uh, so maybe I'll start off with you here, uh, Mark. What is your level of involvement within, you know, Sanderson's works? Like, when did you start reading um, his books? How much have you read? Uh, do you reread that sort of thing? Yeah. So I, I, when, when I was looking at the notes, I was trying to think about this. I don't remember when I got into Sanderson, but I, I would say maybe ten years ago, and it wasn't. I don't know if I had too much going on or, or whatnot, but it maybe wasn't the best start. I think I picked up Mistborn, the final empire, and I read a little bit and then I just stopped and maybe I got busy with work and then not even knowing I downloaded a book from the same author. I had sometime later, I downloaded 
the way of kings on my kindle same deal read a little bit of it and then petered out and then i don't know what happened but uh maybe about six years ago i gave him this for another shot and finished the first book and everything clicked and i think i was lucky in that a lot of sanderson stuff had been released at that point so the moment i finished the final empire i could read the rest of the trilogy and i think even at this point alloy of law the fourth book was out so i had plenty to sink my teeth into and kind of after that i haven't uh haven't looked back (laughs) okay perfect and how about yourself there matt so uh it was when they announced that brandon sanderson was going to finish wheel of time like circa 2010 ish um i had decided to sign up for audible and had three credits so I got Mistborn the Final Empire as one of my first three books from Audible, listened to it, and was like, yeah, this is fantastic. So at the time, there was only the Mistborn trilogy, Warbreaker, Elantris, and The Way of Kings out. And I think I blew through the trilogy, and then sometime later, I... Uh, got around to Elantris, Warbreaker, and then The Way of Kings. And, yeah, The Way of Kings, like, I just love that book more than anything else. So, <laughs> at that point, I was like, yep, I'm sticking with this. But, yeah, Miss War was enough to get me going on Sanderson and uh, everything else. So, but Wheel of Time was my in. <laughs> Sure, and that that's going to be the same for me. I was super into Wheel of Time. I started reading it when I was in middle school, I think, and so you know, read up through. You know, I think it was about the time Winter's Heart released was where I caught up with Jordan in his release order. Uh, so you know, I had to wait for a few books and all those sorts of things. And then obviously, you know, he passed when I was in college, and that was about when Sanderson was announced uh, to finish the series. So I went and checked out Mistborn as well. And I think much you got like in the wheel of time then earlier than I did because I got in when I was in college. Winner's Heart was out, mm-hmm. but it was a couple of years before the eleventh book, uh, Knife of Dreams, came out. Okay, sure. And and yeah, I wanted to go check out the author that you know Harriet had chosen to finish Wheel of Time. So yeah, Mistborn was out, uh, and I read it and quite liked it. But the the thing that really hooked me on him was his website had all of his like annotations from when he was writing the chapters. And so you kind of got mm-hmm. to see, like, you know, I he was talking about, like, why he set this chapter up this way, what sort of foreshadowing he was putting into it, and all those sorts of notes. And I just thought that that was really cool. Uh, so I liked Mistborn well enough on my first read, and then really liked it once I finished the trilogy and stuff. But it, it was mostly those uh, chapter annotations that I think really sold me uh, on him. It was like, yep, I'm going to go find Elantris and find Warbreaker now, and I'll definitely read Way of Kings once it is released. Um so uh, I got hooked pretty early on as well. Now you mentioned that that does remind me back when he was working on the wheel of time books, the, his website was like, I don't know, a weekly check to check the progress bars on those sorts of things. I didn't get into the annotations anywhere near as much as you did, but I do remember perusing some of them and being like, Oh, this is interesting, but there was so much of it to read. In addition to everything else, it's like, uh, well, maybe eventually I'll read all of this, but it was always the, this is like, oh man, he's just so 
communicative about where he's at and things that's going on. And it was very comforting at the time when it's like, are we going to get the ending for Wheel of Time? Yeah. <laughs> where is it going to be? <laughs> right. And, you know, on the, on a fantasy front, you know, around that time, I would say that Wheel of Time was about the only other, like, big fantasy series I had read, uh, other than maybe, like, Lord of the Rings going going back. But kind of in that lull, I started trying to read Game of Thrones and uh, Patrick Rothfuss's Kingkiller Chronicles and uh, Scott Lynch's uh, Lies of Locke Lamora, Gentleman's Bastard series. And then all three of those books kind of famously have had this... <laughs> really big stalling out in finishing um and so it's it's nice to have sanderson there as kind of a robot putting out books where like the other three series that i really tried to get into as like other big fantasy series that people recommended to me all puttered out before we actually got an ending to them (laughs) yeah that that's my biggest thing too because i it's funny eric you say that i the same three series uh, I got into at various times before, I guess before I knew they had a huge gap. Like I remember I picked up Game of Thrones in like, oh nine, maybe 2010, mm-hmm. like right before the show was probably announced. No idea what kind of like pacing George R. R. Martin was doing. So then that happened. And then I picked up Name of the Wind on a whim at a bookshelf. Uh, at a bookstore, and then found out that happened, and then I forget even how I even got Locke Lamora. I think I downloaded the audiobook, loved it, and then I, when I got to the third book, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I, these authors are <laughs> killing me. So, like, yeah, Sanderson just, even if he takes his time, I guess being communicative is still nice. Like, even, like, the Stormlight books, you know, they're they're going to take some time. They're going to take three to four years. And I think even his willingness to just like talk about the process is refreshing. Certainly is. And uh, it's interesting. I got into those three series about the same times and I did actually did the Liza Lockmore audiobook. I didn't know there were more books until like five or six years later. So I discovered that there were like three more books <laughs> at one point. And it's like, oh, they're all on Audible now. This is great. So I didn't feel that gap as badly because like Liza Locklamora felt very good as a standalone to me. Definitely. The, mm-hmm. the other two, like um, actually it was the Game of Thrones board game that got me to check that series out. And I don't know, I, I read the first four books a few times and the gap between that and five took so long and the ser- TV show came out and like, I was out of the TV show after the second season. I just was like, mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying this as much as I was enjoying the books and the fifth mm-hmm. book. I didn't particularly care for. And since then it was just like, I wrote off that whole series, <laughs> but Rothis, like I have, I have a couple friends who like Rothis is their fantasy offer. They, they love the prose the prose sure. is huge for them and a condition to and the story is good too, but they like love that combination. And that's the like one of their big criticisms of Brandon Sanderson is like the prose is not strong. And like, okay, that's fair. Like he even admits that. But I like that I can reasonably expect him to continue his series. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, you know, he's very outgoing about what he's doing. He obviously likes everything he likes his outlines and the 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 shared world of it all is like coming 
a, you know, I'm a long time comic book reader. It fits very much in my wheelhouse of like, oh yes, there's, there's more to this and there's connective tissue between even if you don't read everything. It sounds like you two then have not been super long fantasy readers, maybe outside of Lord of the Rings. So it sounds, I guess other than you talked about wheel time in middle school, but not in terms of Eric, in terms of like branching out into other series. Yeah, it's, I've tried a lot of them. I got, you know, I was, I was super into Lord of the Rings uh, as a kid. My dad read it to me when I was in elementary school. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was a big fan of it even before the movies came out. Uh, and so Wheel of Time, I did. I tried a lot of other fantasy series, um, especially once I kind of hit the point where I caught up with Jordan and wanted to, you know, read books in between his gaps. So I read a few books in the Erickson's Malzahn Book of the Fallen series and didn't get into it enough to keep reading. I think I did the same thing with Abercrombie's First Law trilogy and Sword of Truth uh, also. I think uh, so. That there were three other fantasy series around that time that I tried to read and maybe got like one or two books into a couple of them and never finished. Uh, so, so I've done quite a bit of like the... M- most mainstream modern fantasy. I haven't gotten super deep into, um, you, you know, the lesser known stuff, but the, the the place, like if you ask for fantasy recommendations or go look at, you know, the best 10 fantasy series, I've, <laughs> I've dabbled in most of them at least. Yeah. I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I guess the, the, the series that we mentioned earlier that remained unfinished, that took up a lot of my time. Cause I mean, even though they're not done, they're still, I can't even, like, there's still, like, a handful of books there to be read, but similar boat, I tried a lot of series growing up, and nothing really gripped me. Uh, I tried, like, some Mark Lawrence stuff. I really enjoyed his, I think it's, like, The Prince of Thorns. I don't know what that series is mm-hmm. called, though, but he had the, like, Of Thorns books. Those were fun, and I know it kind of jumped genre a little bit, but I'd say the the series that probably filled in the gaps in between like Sanderson books for me in the past few years have been like the expanse. So I guess I jumped to sci-fi for a while (laughs) there. That's logical jumping points. Now thinking about it, I probably read more sci-fi growing up, but I still read fantasy along with it fairly regularly. So interesting. The series you guys mentioned, like I, I read more kind of, probably easier to get into fantasy series like David Edding's Belgarad. Um, actually, I read that one early college. But high school, middle school, the fantasy series I was reading most was like um, shoot, what was it called? Oh, the Shannara series by Terry Brooks. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. That carried me over through like all of college and a little bit after and that series still keeps going, but I dropped off of it eventually just because it was like, there's just so much of this and it keeps going. And they, they're very similar and they're very L-O-T-R-esque, you know, very right. hero's journey. So mm-hmm. young, young person with a magical power goes out on a quest. Yeah, those got like an MTV series, right? At one point. Yes. And that's actually yeah. quite good because I, I found that on Netflix and I was... I was trepidatious at first about it. And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, it's not super. It, it definitely borrows the major plot points from the books, but it definitely introduces some new characters and does a lot of different things with it. So it's like a good adaptation where it's like, 
okay, this is its own thing from the books enough that I could treat it as a separate thing and not be bored and still really enjoy the ride. Nice. So yeah, it seems like we're all pretty well read across the, the fantasy fantasy spectrum here. So to, to kind of establish your guys' Sanderson cred then, <laughs> if you had to have a hierarchy of, or at least like a loose hierarchy of fantasy series and authors, where, where would Sanderson rank for you? Um, top of the list, middle of the list, near the top? He's definitely top for me. Okay. Uh, I think he's top for me as well. Yeah, I think I'll I'll go three for three on that one. I think it. I definitely enjoyed the Wheel of Time growing up, and Lord of the Rings still is always going to have a huge, huge special place in my heart. But when we're talking about like things that I'm just excited about, especially as we're starting to get into his Cosmere being more connected, you know, like I I remember being on the Dragon Mountain Theoryland websites as a high school and college kid for for Wheel of Time, and it's kind of fun to do the same thing with, you know, 17th Shard and all that sort of stuff. I don't know how well invested you guys are in the, like, online community for Chris Anderson stuff, but it's fun to look at the Coppermind and the, the forums and see the things that I've missed through books. So it's not just the reading. There is a little bit of a community and fun aspect for it outside of the books as well for me. Yeah, I used to be more into that about 10 years ago. I was sure. regularly checking 17th Shard and that's just something that's kind of fallen by the wayside as I've gotten more into Lord of the Rings, the card game, and other other aspects of my other hobbies. It's just like, okay, I'll make sure to read the books. Uh, I subscribe to the various subreddits, and so that's a good way to kind of like get the headlines of some of the more popular theories. Yep. And But I'm not regularly checking or reading a ton of stuff anymore like I used to. How about you, Mark? Uh, for me, I I enjoy the copper mine quite a bit, actually, as far as it, it's good to know that there's a very robust database where, you know, if I want to read trivia or theories or just, you know, at one point remind myself the plot of a certain book, you know, before I'm about to jump into a new one, I, I really like that. And then I don't even know how I got a hold of the 17th Shard, but I do listen to their podcast. and. Uh, I do try to, I enjoy their podcast, but I also try to not, sounds weird, pay too much attention to it because they're so good at what they do and uh, they're really good at figuring stuff out. And so I like to sometimes, it's kind of like my background podcast because I know if I really dig into what they're talking about, um, that more or less they may, may, may spoil stuff coming up in the future. Again, because they are kind of like the, the flagship of the community and they're talking about all the theories that are on discord and reddit and all that stuff right and sanderson's much more forthright i think with answering questions about future stuff like he he's got the the famous stolen from jordan read and find out answer mm-hmm. he'll do a lot of times but uh he i would say more than any other author i've seen will answer some questions and you know if ps answers enough questions and enough signings the internet detectives can put together some pretty compelling theories that often end up being true. Well, these I, it's yeah. becoming more advertised or out there too, because uh, I don't know. Do either of you watch his YouTube channel at all? Yeah. Yeah. I watch the updates. Okay. Yeah, the weekly updates. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I've been, I've been listening to his podcast and the live streams. I'm, 
probably a month or so behind now on them, but they're good background stuff for, you know, when I just hang out with my daughter, it's like, okay, there's not, I don't have to worry about anything more than PG here. <laughs> right. That's fair. But uh, it is nice to get some like, oh, he might answer some weird esoteric questions and also get that stuff to be like, what is the community curious about type of things? And, mm -hmm. But yeah, the like the words of Brandon in terms of like, oh, here's what he he might answer about things and what he might potentially spoil. It's like, oh, it's much easier instead of going through the massive document on 17 shard to read all the questions and answers. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, so before we get into uh, our, our main topic on the discussion of the Lost Metal, uh, what would you both say your favorite either Cosmere story or, or Shard World, Cosmere World out there is? Uh, either or, or you can answer both questions if they're different too. Well, I know what mine is if Mark needs a minute to think. No, go, go for go it. Go for it. It's hands down The Way of Kings for me. It's the favorite book. Okay. Um, that might be part of it timing because it can't like, uh, I got the audiobook for it right about the time that I was doing lots of driving about, uh, at the time I was dating, uh, my now wife and she lived in Lakeview, which for those, uh, outside of Chicago is like a very near north suburb or what used to be a near north suburb and now is part of Chicago mm -hmm. and it's like right on the lake and I lit at the time lived out in the northwest suburb so it was like an hour trip back and forth <laughs> and I liked the book a lot to begin with because you know magical armor and sword and a main couple main characters I related to a lot um and so it was very easy to just put that audiobook on all the time when I was driving around. <laughs> sure. I also have relatives that live uh, like four to six hours away that I would try to visit somewhat frequently. Because uh, at the time, uh, my niece was very young. And so it was like, oh, I want to go visit my sister and see my niece and do that stuff. So I was driving four to six hour trips every few months so i had a lot of time on my hands to basically recycle my audiobook collection several times so i probably listened to the way of kings over a dozen times in addition to reading the text at least twice wow, wow. <laughs> okay <laughs> so yeah i got a lot out of that book i at the time you know we, we were in the 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 long period waiting for him to finish up wheel of time so he could write the second book so it's like, I'm deep into the theories and trying to think about what's next. Where is this story going to go? And so, yeah, I was deep into trying to tease out more stuff from the one book that we had. Yeah, that was a big gap because he, he published that one after he did book 12 of Wheel of Time shortly afterward. So he had books 13 and 14 of Wheel of Time before he got back to Stormlight. So that was quite the gap. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was the wait. Uh, I was so excited for Words of Radiance. I took the day off when it came out so I could <laughs> read it. Is Roshar your favorite world? I don't know if it's my favorite world, per se. Because, um, I don't know. The, 
all the magic systems are pretty interesting. And like Era One Mistborn, the setup for that, I think I liked more with the like what if the Dark World had won? And that's kind of one of the things that I really like about Brandon Sanderson is to kind of twist those tropes a bit. <laughs> and kind of to like, oh, what if this were different? And so I don't know. I, I mean, it is a very well-done world and everything else, plus I get all the crustacean things and there's <laughs> interesting ecological questions with Roshar, but I don't know that I necessarily have a favorite world, but I definitely have a favorite story. Sure. How about you, Mark? Uh, so for me, it's definitely the Stormlight Archive, and I think if I had to pick a book, it might be it might be Oathbringer, but I will say, you know how kind of how like one point you know when I read the Final Empire, things clicked for me. I know the second half and more importantly, like the ending of the Way of Kings really clicked, and I think that book in particular. I mean, we're talking about spoilers, but I remember um, when I, I'm going to butcher the line, but basically when Dalinar says like you know what would you think the price of this like shard blade is or whatever, and you know they talk about how it's like worth kingdoms and all that jazz, and then he says, well, I'll trade it for you know the the freedom of you and your men. And like that was the first time I think as a reader I had like a immediate emotional reaction while reading, and I was like, "Holy crap! What is this? What is this feeling?" <laughs> and uh, I was like, I, "I need more of this." So I mean, the second half of Way of Kings is kind of like I I look forward to the day that's on screen, whether it's an animated movie or a TV show or whatever. Um, but Oathbringer I think is the one that kind of like cranked it up a notch for me because that's such a fun climactic ending and there's the issue with you know handling your pain and letting go of it and all that and i just uh, the emotion kind of got cranked up there as far as i don't know if i have a favorite world i kind of just enjoy what is presented to us but reading some of his short stories the worlds presented in i always get these the title mixed up Sixth of the Dusk, I think, is the story and the character. Either way, the one with the right. islands mm -hmm. and the pretend, potentially like colossal sea monsters. Um, uh, I have like a fear of that stuff, but also I have a fascination with it, so that's kind of interesting. And then I like what he may or may not explore in the one with the um, the shades in Shadows of Silence, the one with the forest, and yep. they can't go out at night. Uh, uh, Threadney, that's the Threadney, yeah. I don't remember so, the Six of Dust world, though. That's like a, uh, what's the archi archipelago? Like a series of yeah. islands. And they're just yeah, like I'm very just trying deadly. to remember the name of the planet. Oh. Oof. I think that is the name of the planet. I think that, yeah. It's the or... sixth planet from the sun of that. Okay. Where it's, it's like first of the sun, second of the sun. And his name is Sixth of the Dusk. Yeah, so yeah. that's how it is. Okay. That's what the, yeah. Um, but that, that would probably be it. I mean, and, I'm, and I have a similar thought with like Roshar like it's very interesting but uh I guess I'm not there for the setting yeah yeah it's funny I'll I'll split the two of you there and I think <laughs> Words of Radiance is my favorite book um in the the Cosmere so far I agree with you wholeheartedly the last the back end of Way of Kings is amazing uh I think I love slow um and like the world building <laughs> But the beginning of Way of Kings is definitely a bit on the slower side um, as you're kind of getting to know Kaladin and the, the, the Bridgemen and 
him settling into kind of the depression of his situation, meeting Shalon while she's doing all these things. Uh, this is probably a good yeah, time Brandon for me Sanderson to... even talks about the buy-in for that is huge because you have two prologues to read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two prologues and then the first chapters from a point of view character we never see again. Uh, so, yeah, all <laughs> over the place. And it's a time jump, huge time jump afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think way of, or Words of Radiance just kind of starting in the middle of the action for me uh, is great. And then I'm a sucker for the, you, you know, I think so much today with fantasy series are trying to subvert expectations, having, you know, the grim dark or the shades of gray sort of thing, which I can appreciate in a lot of things, but I'll admit wholeheartedly, I'm a sucker for like the good versus evil and the, you know, the good guy triumphing over his, you know, own issues and the issues of the bad guy. So just the, the back end of that book with Kaladin, uh, you know, jumping into the, the pit to help uh, Adeline. Mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff is probably my favorite moment in the whole series and then you know when he gets sill back there when he's trying to protect the king um from moash and the ghost bloods there just i don't know it's my favorite part in the whole i think stormlight archive up to this point so that book still is my favorite of the bunch at this point before i forget again uh talking cinematic moments from the first few starlight books the one I really want to see is when Kaladin jumps off the bridge over into the Parshendi and says the the first oath. Yeah. It's like I the first time I read that, I'm like, that is a like scene written perfect for, you know, here's the beginning of the climax of the movie type of yep. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Or or like the one I just mentioned, the the honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do. It, like if if we can ever get that on a TV show. I, that is a very good quotable line too. I have a tendency to forget about that scene, and when I go back to reread and listen to it, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, this is so good." <laughs> well, and and especially because the build up to that, like Kaladin wasn't anywhere near Dalinar in that because it was told from Dalinar's point of view, but you just knew it was coming. And I think that's what I'm talking about, like on the subverting expectations. Like even the first time reading that book, you just knew that Cal was going to come up and and do something there to help. Like it just had to happen. And even though it, it happened in almost the exact same way that I was thinking, it was still just like a perfect, it was perfectly executed, I thought. Uh, but yeah, and then for me, in terms of shard worlds, I think that Cell is probably the most interesting one to me at this point. Just because we only got um, Elantris and then the Emperor's soul set there, and that was written so long ago for Sanderson as a writer. And yet we still see them popping up like in Secret History of Mistborn. They're mentioned a little bit as going through Shadesmar in the um, uh, Roshar right. series. Sorry, uh, what was that? It was Oathbringer with the Lighthouse Keeper. That was Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, and like you just know that there's a lot more going on there. Both their shards have been splintered and made it very difficult to get to that planet and yet it seems like they're more Cosmere aware than a lot of the other places they can get their investiture off world easier uh we saw in lost metal here that they can do a lot of their magic off world um easier also potentially uh so just very interesting to me from like a magic system standpoint more so than like the actual planet itself that's a good point and 
something I hadn't really thought about too much that how that seems to be leaking into the other books more so than the other worlds. Yeah, and I'd say Elantris is probably among my least favorite Sanderson books, but I haven't read it in quite a long time. Uh, but he was definitely a younger author, so like the, the prose issues or maybe things that we talk about sometimes are a little bit more pronounced there. Uh, but probably worth a reread at some point. I still really enjoy Elantris, but I also there's one part I that's a uh, like foreshadowing that you have to like get to the end of the book to really enjoy when they first introduce the the priest and the red armor. It's mm-hmm. like the uh, it's something along the lines like the savior of Elantra stepped off the boat and, that day, and it's like, oh, okay, this is you know obviously like talking about the arrogance of this character as you continue reading, and then later on you're like, oh no, he was foreshadowing something else there, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's some nice twists and turns in Elantra that I appreciate, so. But I guess in terms of like where everything else is, it might end up near the bottom just because he has grown a lot yeah. and things have developed much more since then. Yeah, so to to go from one of his earliest works to now his latest there, we'll we'll move on into the lost metal here. Um just kind of very overall, like what are what were your first thoughts when you finished the book there? We'll kind of like a surface level, did you like it? Was it, like, where would you rank it maybe in the, the hierarchy of your favorite Cosmere novels? Um, what what did we, what didn't we like? We'll just kind of discuss a little bit of that uh, to start off with. Uh, how about you You kick us off on this one there, Matt, since I know you've got some notes <laughs> uh, that you said you'd prepared here. Yeah, I, I thought was, that was good, but not great. Mm-hmm. And I say that mainly because it's not, you know, Anywhere approaching uh, Stormlight Archives level. And it's probably at the better end of Mistborn Era 2, but that's still below like Mistborn Era 1 for me. Okay. Um, Did so, you think it was a satisfying conclusion to Era 2? Yeah, I do. And actually, that's one of the things I liked about it because uh, that whole like the missing Alamancers say they introduced back in Alloy of Law. I was like, ah, finally, we get some resolution to that. <laughs> and kind of like, okay, they were kind of planning to breed them, but it was a little more than just that. Cause, you know, when they first talked about like the possibilities, like we're going to try and breed Alamancers, I, I probably went to a darker place in my mind than what it ended up being. But I also kind of appreciate the, what they ended up doing with that. With the whole like, oh, they faked an apocalypse and put people in caverns, and I don't know it made me kind of think of like Blast from the Past in some ways. Yeah, or if you ever uh, the the Shyamalan movie, the uh, the Village, it was oh, almost oh there. yeah, mm-hmm. uh, not a great movie, but it gave me similar vibes to to that sort of thing. Like we can't go outside; anybody that shows up here is dangerous. Like uh, similar levels of control, uh, um, and. Yeah, just more general thoughts. Love, really liked all the Cosmere crossover in the book. It's definitely giving me a lot more to chew on as a as a preparation for this. I was listening to the audiobook again, and I almost finished a second go of the book. Nice, uh, but um, the first half definitely kind of 
gives you a little bit. It is pretty, it feels slow, especially on the reread where it's like, okay, let's, let's get to the other stuff. Um, it was nice to see more of the ghost bloods and it makes to be like stormlight makes the ghost blood seem really sinister. And this one pulled that back a lot. So kind of making them more gray to me from this perspective, you could probably talk more about that later. The, there were a couple sticking points um, in terms of what I didn't necessarily enjoy as much. Uh, one being the, the doppelgangers, the spiked metalborn. Um, and it's not so much that I hated them or actively disliked them. It just did not, it was like, oh, okay, this is what they're doing, and checked out a little bit. It's like, all right, no, those parts aren't as interesting. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off you there on that one, since that was one of my main criticisms for the book, too. I I'm with you. I think I appreciated it as the end to the series. I don't necessarily love it that much just as a book itself. And I think the doppelgangers were one of my biggest issues. Um, mm -hmm. And that's going back to a, a similar criticism that maybe I had with Rhythm of War, the last uh, book four in the Stormlight Archive, where I sometimes felt like in an effort to get these very cinematic fight-feeling moments, we go back to the same well a few too many times. Um, so we had like the introductory fight with the doppelgangers when they got, uh, you know, the, the car... The sting that went bad. The sting, exactly. The sting mm -hmm. that went bad. Yep. And then we fought them again in the sewers uh, when they were trying to check out that tunnel, basically, the, from the, the mayor's office. Yeah. And then we fought them a third time in the, you know, the, the top of the building at the, the climactic yeah. end of the book. The skyscraper with the launch pad for <laughs> yeah. missile. And I think it was just maybe too much for me in a book that was 500 pages long to have three pretty big, long, drawn-out fights with the same people that were using more or less the same power set, just with some hemorrhagic um, additions yeah, had, to it. Yeah, it's like the first fight was interesting as it was brought back to Lyleman, right? Yes. And we hadn't seen that since Era 1, so it's been a while. And that was cool but it did drag, it got all to be too much. Yeah. And also, like, the ultimate solution was that they swap, which is what you usually happens in these doppelganger situations. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. And so... so yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're, you're exactly right. So it's just one of those things where it, it just detracted a little bit for, for me from the overall book to have... I'm with you. I, I think if I went through a second time, I would have a very hard time reading those sections without just going to skim the important bits. Yeah. Well, you know, something I mentioned before is like, one of the things I like about Sanderson is taking the tropes and twisting them a little bit. And I felt like this is one of those areas where it's like, I was waiting for him to twist it and there was no twist. It's like, Oh, we're, we're doing the, the doppelganger thing. They're doing the obvious solution, which is to swap opponents. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so sorry, I cut you off there. I know you said you had a couple more things you were talking about there. No, I did want to talk about that. The other thing I didn't enjoy as much is the the bands of mourning part with the uh, in Ellendale. Like, 
especially the way they set up the situation where they ended up giving up the Bands of Mourning, I was like, that was way too easy mm-hmm. for them to get it. Especially the way they were talking about what the agreement was. is like, I, when I listened to it the second time through, I see kind of what happened for versus why when I first listened to it, I thought the agreement was that the Malwish would accept it that um, Elendel could use the bands and then the Malwish would have the chance to use the, the bands during a crisis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the obvious agreement there would be that the Chondra would still have possession of it because there's Chondra everywhere. So they would have to still, you know, go to the Chondra and be like, hey, we have a crisis. We need to use the bands, right? Right. And that's why I thought was the case. And really, they kind of hate, my second read, my second listen, like they hastily agreed too, too quickly to set like those logical terms where they're like, oh, okay, so we'll get, we'll get to use them now and the Malwish will get to use them. They didn't put any of those conditions on them. Mm-hmm. That to me, like, that's the logical thing. And it, Steris being the super logical, reasonable person or character that she is in the book. Like, I would have her expected her to be like, no, 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 you don't just get to take the bands. They go back to 10 soon, and then you can use them in the next crisis. Like, mm-hmm. But I think that's the thing with the length of this book, and that this is something that needed to happen to set up something in Era 3 or something down the road. And so I think it gets glossed over a little too easily. But this could also be... Just me as a <laughs> person that works in finance. <laughs> that's like, yeah. we pay close attention to the rules because if you follow the rules closely enough and find those loopholes, <laughs> you get rewarded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I agree. It, it's almost felt like a, um, a uh, like in the Marvel movies when you have somebody show up that just and do things that just don't really matter, you know, and it's very clearly just to set up something else in a future movie. Like we had to put this in so that we don't have to include this backstory elsewhere, but it doesn't really work in the story we're telling today uh, is kind of how the, the bands of morning felt to me a little bit. Especially the part where they're just drained. It's like, yeah. And we don't have time to deal with this. It's like, yeah, but this is the last book in this this series. But I don't know. Uh, pondering about it more, I'm. I feel like this setup means that Era Three is not as much of a time gap as I would expect when, um, when we've heard that like you know Era Three will be 1980s level technology, mm-hmm. and so the kind of where the series started was very like late 19th century level technology or it seemed like with the steam punk and uh the roughs being you know allegory for western u.s you had railroads and everything it's like okay that's clearly like 1880s 1890s so it's about 100 years before we get to era three but they're in the six years since the start of the series they've gotten radio they've got you know missiles it's like we've, we're speeding through the early 20th century to like 1920s, 1930s level technology. Yeah, for sure. So I'm not sure 
so so part of that might be like oh you know theoretically we could have night mistborn era 3 be in the next few decades <laughs> so there might not be as much of a time gap as i was originally expecting based on the start of the series it feels like the setup for the next era of mistborn was a little shoehorned in i think is what we could say yeah, yeah, and I think uh, we'll discuss that maybe a little bit here towards the the end of this discussion too, because I want to get back into the the future of Mistborn a little bit. But Mark, what were your kind of overall thoughts on the Lost Metal here? Uh, I think I overall liked it pretty pretty well. I liked it as much as I think I've liked most of the Era Two books, and I guess I should say that like this setting, this like. It's not quite steampunk, but like this late 19th century, early 20th century doesn't really grab me in in most genres, whether it's fiction or fantasy or nonfiction. So I feel like, yeah, (laughs) but the characters are fun. And I think I enjoyed having like another round uh, with the characters. And I will say, you know, uh, I say this knowing all the flaws surrounding this character and i will attribute some of what i'm about to say to the narration of uh michael kramer but i really enjoy wayne so the fact that this was wayne's book in a lot of ways made it a little more entertaining for me like like i don't like i don't like main characters very often so like wax is like the typical main character so wayne stands out even more for me because he kind of pokes and prods at wax and is very much like his opposite and like i enjoy wax when wax is frustrated by wayne uh so i think because this was a very wayne heavy book i really enjoyed it and also says it was my favorite character from the first trilogy so anytime says it gets character moments which he definitely i don't know if he necessarily got moments but other people commented on says it quite a bit in in this uh i, I enjoyed it that much as well so and i i had i think as like a send off to the crew it was really fun. I actually kind of hearing about how soon the follow up might be. Uh, it's kind of like Era One. I wish it w- I kind of wish it was far enough that we could just pretend everyone had a happy ending from here on out. You know, the people who are still alive. And if it's going to be soon enough, where we maybe deal with Marisi as uh, maybe like a, a former governor at this point or something like that. I don't know. I, I'm kind of concerned. Like, what are they going to do to my my beloved crew? But uh, I do agree with some of the the criticisms, uh, especially the bands of morning. The bands of morning moment. I think whoever said uh, Eric, it might have been you. I uh, felt like that MCU, the Marvel moment, where you're like, oh, okay, this is like, you know, there's going to be a Spider-Man movie in two years now. You know, when like yep. Spider-Man shows up, uh, it felt very much like that. I didn't mind the doppelganger so much, but I also, I think I enjoyed them for the same reason you two don't like them where i was like wow these people are ridiculous and (laughs) creepy and uh i did this i think is like a misborn thing in general i once i knew what the fights were kind of about i just kind of skimmed through because i knew what we were going to do as far as like the powers and the magic uh but yeah overall i i did enjoy it and (laughs) i feel bad this is almost a, a flaw and a compliment at the same time it really it made me really excited for the future of mistborn yeah definitely i think maybe my other small thing that is more of a me issue than it was a book issue um 
was that I really went into this book assuming that we were going to get a lot more about the Mawish and that sort of like conflict between the northern continent and the southern continent and the bands of mourning and learning more about you know the the devices that they've been creating and all these sorts of things and that this trell problem we'd maybe get to learn more about it but that trell was going to be the big setup for book for mistborn era three mm-hmm. and so when it came out and that was basically exactly flip-flopped like there's definitely going to be some tension still between the Northern and Southern continents in era three and autonomy who we now know was trying to set up an avatar on uh, the planet is more or less dealt with, at least for the current time being. Uh, so that really, I think threw my expectations a little bit for a loop to on what I thought the book was going to be. And then it really wasn't that at all, which isn't a bad thing at all a big picture but might have affected my feelings about it at the time for what like maybe i was hoping the book was going to be yeah i can't think of like a, a i have a movie metaphor and i can't think of one half of it but yeah you're kind of, the bands of morning book kind of sets up a certain kind of story and then what you end up getting is like a james bond movie uh, if like a James Bond movie ter- it took place in 24 hours which for some people that's probably really great but you may have been like well, I don't want to watch James Bond. I want to watch this like North versus South uh, stuff that you set up in the last book. So, yeah, I can see how it's it's a bit of a turn. And for some, it may not be like, yeah, I mean, it's certainly unexpected. I was even surprised how little the South, I was surprised how little Alec played. Like, forget the yeah. Southern, Southerners in general. Like, we have a Southerner on the crew, more or less, and really he wasn't. <laughs> no, he just baked a couple things. and <laughs> Which was cute. It was, it was adorable. Definitely. But... Uh, I guess my expectations because of the the memory thing at the end and secret history, I thought Kelsier was going to be much bigger in this one. Maybe somewhat with the Malwish and the and the uh, the Alimantic and fewer chemical devices, mm-hmm. but I thought that was more the direction than necessarily the conflict with the Malwish. I thought we were going to have conflict with Kelsier, and instead he ended up being kind of an ally in this. Yeah, he he and the Ghost Bloods were were very different and interesting. Um, uh, you mentioned it a little bit in your yeah because discussions, in, but like I think in Stormlight, especially reading from the perspective of our protagonists, the Ghost Bloods aren't good. You know what I mean? And you right. almost kind of get this picture that man has has you know being you know, trapped in the cognitive realm, being a little spirit stapled to a skeleton with a spike really turned Kelsier into a completely different person than we thought he was. Like, is he actually trending evil? It was nice to see that, no, that's not really the case. Like, maybe maybe that's an issue with the Roshar Ghostbloods. Maybe that's an issue with them being out of contact with the Kelsier's core crew here on Skadriel. Um it, it was or maybe nice. just the nature of what their mission is, because like yeah. Kelsier says that well, maybe not at Kelsier, but the Ghostbloods do say that their mission is you know further the interests of Scadriel. Yeah, so to them, yep. Roshar is an obstacle. That's true. And and you know, in the interview before this came out, and uh, after Secret History and stuff, Brandon had kind of been like, you know, 
Kelsier is not necessarily a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> out, like he murdered a lot of people and was very angry at stuff in Mistborn Era One. Like you know, he's the hero in Era One because everything else around him is so bad. Era two is, you know, in many ways a gentler era. So Kelsier could easily become a villain in that setting. And so I think that kind of helps set the expectations that he was going to be more adversarial here, and he's not because their interests are aligned. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where things are necessarily going to fall in the future, but I think with the Mistborn books, we're going to see the Ghostbloods be, ta- be more of those allies there, whereas like that sinister perspective from the Rosharans and everything in Stormlight makes sense, because they, you know... Roshar has something they want, and the Knights Radiant are definitely a possible impediment to them. Or maybe ally, because since the the Skybreakers have definitely opposed the majority of the orders there. Yeah. I am looking forward to like with Kelsier and the Ghost Bloods. You know, it kind of echoes a little bit his the way he handled plans in Era One where you know, he sets up this like pseudo religion or rather he he uses his death to, you know, create a rebellion. And then one of the byproducts is this pseudo religion and, you know, watching the characters come to grips with like, you know, like, hey, like your plan worked, but you had some unforeseen consequences. And this is like really problematic. I feel like what's happening with the ghost bloods is going to be like that whenever this happens, whether it's era three, era four. Whenever the two sides of the ghost bloods, I feel like, get reconciled or have to answer for their actions, you know, it ultimately falls on Kelsier. And, you know, is he is he a genius? Is he kind of I don't use the word idiot, but like. Did he make a mistake with how he handled the other members of the ghost bloods on other worlds? And I think seeing Kelsier having to answer for that will be very interesting at some point because it's like he is responsible for the ghost bloods on Roshar even if the ghost bloods at home are good people and I don't know if he can get it he shouldn't get away with that scot free and I look forward to whether that's like says it or marsh or some other characters that haven't been introduced I just kind of look forward to when that kind of that reckoning comes that's interesting to think about yeah, and it's very interesting. Like we've known basically since Secret History that like obviously his goals don't align with Sazed's goals. <laughs> um <laughs> uh and so to see that relationship kind of especially in their epilogue where they got to sit down and have a chat and Sazed lies to him after telling him he would never lie to him. Um and we get all those like bits and pieces of information from a lot of people that maybe not all is well with harmony here. Uh, in era two, uh, I think even on world there might be some interesting things. So I, I hope we get to see more Kelsier uh, in era three when when those books show up in some capacity. See what he's doing behind the scenes there, knowing that the shards on that planet are in some sort of turmoil or distress. Uh, that's I guess that's another big takeaway from this book for me is that. We had kind of talked offline uh, before this about one of the big theories about Harmony becoming Discord. I I read up on it uh, since we talked offline a little bit about that. And it was like, oh, I didn't realize that there was actually something set up in Isborn Era 1 about um, 
the terrorist prophecies mentioning he will be called discord and or he will bring discord to the people and the people will love him for it or something like that yep. it's like, oh man there's a long game here and so other uh, you know listening to it again i've been digging a little more into like is Sazed changing or is Sazed playing some longer game here? Because he has to, you know, honor both sides of his intent. He's both wants to save things and destroy things. And it'd be the more I thought I have more I thought about it, it's like it'd be really easy for the kind, gentle Sazed that we know to present the pres- preservation side to his agents, especially the Chondra, since they, back in Air, Mistborn Air 1, claim they are of preservation. Yep. To be like, yes, go save people and all this other stuff, and then present another side that's the Ruin intent um, to more... I don't know if he has necessarily Shadow Agents, or if, it, you know, behind the scenes, he's working as Ruin. It's like, Kelsier brings up that a lot closer than it probably should have been. But maybe he has to play things that way to be like, all right, well, in order to satisfy both intents, like I'll do a little bit to save people here and there. But then, you know, I send my sword to destroy things. I <laughs> I let things progress to the level where it's a crisis. And so, you know, there's wreckage going to come out of this, but the long term goals is still going to further the development of the people on Scadrial. Because, you know, we've seen him talk about that the people should have been having radio and that he definitely wants them to progress. So it's kind of like a... I feel like he has a kind of a creative destruction path to that if he's playing both sides of his Shardic intent. Yeah. Uh, two quick thoughts on, like, what you just said. Uh, it reminded me of the, the line where Kelsier says, you know, that was a bit of a close call. Uh, I really enjoy that we have we have a character we know that God exists like we have a character that is basically God and we know he was a human at one point so I like that you know Sanderson plays with what it means to be uh, divinity and I and I was thinking like well if one being like when you have like infinite knowledge cutting it down to the wire like for him like maybe that was all the plan all along and it's like to him that's probably no big deal because like that's the way the plan was always going to work so to someone like kelsier it was down to the minute but for someone who could see it far into the future like this is exactly how it was supposed to go and so maybe that's why uh says it was like so calm and supposedly not making a big a deal of it as other characters wanted him to be and i'm like well yeah i guess if you're god you know where it's gonna go in the end maybe so i just enjoyed kind of thinking around that and then when you mentioned just the the, the discord aspect you know says it did have a dark side there was that time where he like renounced religion and he was very i would say self-destructive and mm-hmm. i'd be curious well, what what happens if god get like what if that says it kind of takes the wheel a little bit uh in the future I, I i don't know what that that looks like but certainly we know there's like the other side that says it and what would happen to push him over the edge? Yeah, so I just I think, I think my main question. <laughs> yeah, I think my main question going forward is: Is Sazed Sazed's dark side 
something involuntary where he has some sort of dissociative identity disorder because of the two shards he holds? Or is it something he's doing intentionally so that he can act, but to, but he's making the appearances look like he, that he's having trouble acting because he's holding two different intents. Kind of the observer problem. (laughs) Or maybe the darker one too would be that, we know that the power of preservation was lesser than the power of rune because preservation had to put themselves into the creation of life there on Scadrial. Like, is yeah. this just slowly over the course of the, you know, hundreds of years since he took bull shards, the rune side that's slightly more powerful winning out much like we saw in era one where rune slowly took over preservation and was able to almost get to the point of destroying the planet. Like, are we slowly seeing that same, thing happen within Sazed as well. And that would fit with the shard, right? Because it's ruin, not necessarily destruction outright. It slowly erodes away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm very yeah. interested, especially because they set up, you know, we've heard from other shards that they are afraid of Harmony because he wields the power of two shards. And like, obviously <laughs> we knew that Autonomy was worried about Scadrial in large part due to the two shards and then the the Rapid technological progress. Technology progress, exactly. So it was interesting knowing what we knew kind of before the book that, like, boy, Gadriel's kind of in a good place to actually put a little bit of intrigue into that. Like, or are they? Like, is everything mm-hmm. as great as maybe we thought it was there, where like Odium wouldn't try to attack that, you know, if he could escape the Roshar system, obviously. But so I, I appreciated that as like a just a, a question like hmm, maybe harmony's not as untouchable as we thought he was to yeah. other shards so let's see here moving down we've, we've kind of gotten into it a bit here but on the day of release brandon had a, his release event and kind of now famously he said the gloves are off when it comes to crossovers in his books you know he he tried to write his books up to this point where you didn't have to read everything. If you wanted to sit down and just read Warbreaker, you could. If you wanted to just read Stormlight, uh, you know, maybe there's some person whose hair can change color that shows up that you might not know <laughs> who they are, but you're more or less good. Um, he said, starting with this book, that's just no longer going to be the case. Starting from here, like if people ask, where they should start reading Sanderson, the answer is not going to be wherever you want. It's going to be something that came out before this point. What are your two thoughts on on that? Is that an exciting prospect to you, or do you, or were you maybe a little bit uh, disappointed with the Cosmere aware level of the Ghost Bloods in particular and things happening in this book? I mean, this is pretty much where I've been wanting the series to go for twelve years. <laughs> <Yep>. So I'm <laughs> ready. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Mark? Uh, yeah, I I don't have a problem with it. I think, you know, because I, I forget, like, when, when this is all said and done and we're all, like, 80 years old or however old and the Cosmere's <laughs> done, there's going to be, I, I'm going to make a number up. Like, let's just say there's 50 books. Yep. Um, to to be able to still say you could read whichever one you want, with you know, give or take a couple would be insane or would just be, like, quite the quite the notion. So I think there has to be a turning something's got to give at some point. And I think the fact that you could still read 
I'm not going to do the math in my head, but you have two full Mistborn series, you have almost a full Stormlight series, you have a couple standalone books. I mean, that's pretty great to say, you know what, up until this point, here's like 14 books you can just like go read and have fun with. Um, but I think also, even if you're caught off guard, it's totally fine. I, I mean, I, I feel jealous for the people who read these books in some particular order and don't know that Kelsier is around and get to the point where he's revealed as the leader of the Ghostbloods. And maybe because maybe because they don't read Secret History or the end of Bands goes over their heads. And I don't know. I think however you approach these books, you're still going to have a good time. And maybe some plot lines might be lessened because of it, but I don't think it would ever ruin uh, uh, a, a work. Like, even if you found out how Roshar ends up by reading Mistborn Era 4, you know, you're going to go back and read Stormlight 1 through 5, which are set, um, you know, who knows how many years. Because the timeline's all kind of wonky. I think you can just have fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm very excited for it as well. Like, this was the big promise of the series. You know, this was, like, like would the MCU be that good if we kept just getting standalone movies and never got Avengers movies? Like, no, I don't think it would be. And And that's the same thing here. Like, I've appreciated all of the, you know, uh, Easter egg drops and, like, clever things that you could look for like oh you know the ghost bloods they have an avr and they've got some white sand from taladin uh <laughs> you know and just like those sorts of things that you know a well-read person can see but i love that we're getting like actual crossover from real major characters now uh you guys are gonna have to correct me here since you have both done the audio books and i am just a, a text reader uh, what's the name of the the main character from Emperor's Soul that shows up here in? Uh, uh, she goes by Moonlight in this one, but it's yeah. Shy in Emperor's Soul. Shy, okay, so. perfect. That's how I've been doing it as well. But yeah, Moonlight showing up. Shy. Uh, I'll admit that I was thinking that she was a Rasharin um, for a decent bit of time, basically up until the point where it became obvious and she pulled out her stamps. Uh, and well, that's interesting well, because uh, I my first guess was she was. Uh, from Nalthus because she made some color metaphor. And that was oh, one of the things that I overlooked when I first read Words of Radiance that made me miss that Zyle was uh, the main character. Yeah. yeah, Vasher from Warbreaker. Right. And so for me, it was they kept mentioning her, her, her cheekbones in particular, like being higher cheekbones, which is kind of an mm. Alethi uh, trait. So I thought maybe she had come over from Roshar in some capacity. Uh, so yeah, and then brought, busted out the stamps, and I was like, "Oh wow!" I I was not expecting to see her as a uh, crossover character in this book by any stretch. No, and you know, especially since Emperor Soul stands alone so well on its own, it's just a little novella, and you know, Brandon kind of does these little side projects sometimes, and it's like, "Oh okay," I mean, it's very easy to just kind of treat them as their own thing until they show up later somewhere else to be like, oh, okay, maybe that is maybe that is a little more connected as opposed to just like, oh, okay, we get to see about some other part of uh Bell there. Yeah, and so her inclusion and in particular, you know, the them having all of the the, the magic in the jars that they could just use to power basically any form of investiture here on Scadrill, and then her having a stamp that flat out turned her into an Elantrian uh, was quite the 
um, oh wow, like this is a like we're seeing like full powers from another planet from a character we've seen before displayed in a completely different planet and book series <laughs> uh, was was quite the wow the gloves are off moment for me because like uh, Viviana in Stormlight she kind of just walked around with a sword that we didn't know what it was that's obviously like a Nightblood 2.0 uh, this, this we're actually seeing like basically the full display of Cell <laughs> on Roshar which was uh, pretty cool to see I thought uh, also interesting they brought in the Aethers and everything when we don't have a canonical thing with the Aethers yeah. yet. And yeah, that's like, all. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's all just people that have read basically words of Brandon. Have any clue what those are? They're one of those like Dawn Shard sort of powers that were around before the Shattering. Uh, that's basically all we know. Yeah, it was cool to see basically the the Iron Man suit of crystal in action there. <laughs> I, I do. I love that there's there's a there's a possibility that we are going to have like a fantasy book with mechs, which is just an entertaining notion, you know. Yeah, and I mean we got very good uh, um, confirmation that a lot of fan theories about how faster than light travel is going to work with a Alamancer at the helm of a, a spaceship, you know, with Wayne and uh, Marcy doing their their stuff, but knowing the Duralum and and that sort of thing so interesting to see how some of these very sci-fi feeling things are going to get worked in using magic from a very like technically written fantasy magic system yeah i think that's one of the cool things about mistborn that and who knows maybe as the cosmere goes forward we'll see that with other series like at stormlight and whatnot but i think mistborn's really fun in showing the application of the magic system and how it can turn into technological advancements uh i look forward to like how that starts to grow even more i'm trying to remember what the one that he showed in this book that really made me go oh wow that's neat but either way just the way he handles uh the technological progression is really fun yeah and that's like i said maybe one of my disappointments this book is that we didn't really get any new of the Almantic uh, technological progress because we saw the medallions introduced in the last book and like no progress was made on that really in the last six years even though they got access to more Alamancers a little bit uh, and the Malwish kept their technology wisely under wraps <laughs> well I guess what would be neat is that like because of autonomy you have there's going to be like a bit of a, a techno drop because you have like the rocket. They, they they may have failed to create a rocket, but certainly their plans are going to be out there. So I feel mm -hmm. like uh, maybe we didn't get to play with the toys, but I feel like there's going to be like obviously uh, a jump after this point too, because now like another God intervened and gave them kind of the, the secret behind a couple of things. And yeah. Yeah. And the ghost bloods are definitely going to be, like we can see that that's their main purpose now is to advance technology on yeah. the planet. So I guess yeah, Kelsier's democratization of Alamancy and everything else is like, mm -hmm. okay, that's clearly, you know, what he wanted to do with the medallions and everything else. And it's like, okay, why aren't they, you know, working really hard with the Malwish to advance that 
development there. It's like, obviously they did something to get it started, but uh, why it hasn't progressed further or why Kelsier isn't like, or maybe he does have some, uh, some research facility where they're working on different kinds of medallions and doing more uh, powers in one thing to try and, you know, create the bands of mourning 2.0, so to speak. Oh, geez. <laughs> or something like that. Right. <laughs> it's like, that, that's, that's the magical tech that I'm like, I want to see that. <laughs> but So I know we're, we're running up close to that time here. So I'm going to kind of combine a couple bullet point questions that we had on the, uh, the show notes here. Are there, what were your big takeaways from this in terms of things that you're looking forward to in the Cosmere now as a result of what we learned here or kind of the, the opposite end of that question is like, are there big unanswered questions left for you that you really want answered now um, as a result of this book? Uh, I think for me, I'll just talk about what I'm uh, looking forward to as far as like what's been discussed and handled in this book is I didn't know how much I would enjoy the the thought exercise of the I think he called it a tripod the tripod that is Marsh, Sazed, and Kelsier mm-hmm. and I really look forward to seeing that play out in future books so I'm hoping it goes all the way to the end because I just like how I feel like they're they're like a Venn diagram or like a three-way Venn diagram. And I feel like uh, they all have their points and they all have their flaws and just watching these three powers kind of interact and prove each other wrong and maybe support each other uh, really fascinates me. You know, I, I didn't know I'd appreciate this with the Mistborn, but the way he's been handling religion, I was kind of like, is this his version of like the Holy Trinity? Cause you have like death, the survivor and God mm-hmm. and yep. knowing that those, those three exist in world and sometimes agree and sometimes disagree and sometimes both uh, will be really interesting. And if it is going to go to like a 1980s level world and we've now introduced basically nuclear weapons, having uh, a black and white, you know, your says it in Kelsier and then Marsh in the middle kind of behind the scenes is just really fascinating to me. So I really look forward to that. Yeah, sure. I, I love that they came back. I, I I think I didn't realize how much I wanted them to be discussed until Secret History came out and we and until the ending of Bands of Morning when we realized that it was Kelsier that kind of helped save the southern continent there. I, I was quite happy with Mistborn Era 2 being its own thing and just kind of, you know, Sazed was there talking to Wax, obviously, but um, I, I very much appreciated getting to see those characters from Era 1 feature more prominently here than they had in the rest of the series. And I agree with you. I hope that they continue moving forward. I'm very interested to see what those three are up to. Oh, quick addition, and Matt, I imagine you hopefully will appreciate this because of the audiobook. Marsh's introduction in this story and the way he, the way the Michael Kramer puts on Marsh's voice, like he's extra gravelly <laughs> and he's extra grim reapery. 
And then the moment he gets into the room and he's like, man, I haven't done that. That's exhausting. I haven't done that in a long time. It's so funny because it's like to them, they're talking to the Grim Reaper. And it's like a guy who's like, man, Monday's on my right. Like, it just (laughs) it was so I enjoyed it so much. It was pretty good. And actually, one of the things with the audiobook is that I almost missed. Well, I did miss on the first time through that there was a little bit with Marsh being interviewed for the Ars Arcana. And uh, today I actually had to skip to the end to make sure I found out about that piece to be like, oh, okay, yeah, he there is a reference to him here and talking about chemoallergic compounding and some of the theory behind why it's not possible anymore. Um, but I hadn't got that part. I'll have to. I usually don't read the Ars Arcana, even though I know that there's stuff buried in it. I usually just let the uh, seventeen. I was the same way. Find it. Uh, I'm usually the same way because there's so much repeated information there. Yeah, and it was one of those things I ran across it in one of the subreddits where they're like, "Oh, and the Marsh Ars Arcana reference." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I Should've... have to go check that out now, and it's like at the very end. Should have known better after Sanderson told us who killed Asmodian in Wheel of Time in a glossary <laughs> entry. So, so I should always go check those out. <laughs> but uh, kind of piggyback on Mark's talking about the 1980s, uh, Bisport Era three. For what looking forward to the most is like I I want to know if Era three is like going to be a setup for a Cold War like spy thriller because you mm-hmm. you could conceivably have a Cold War with autonomy because they're both technologically developing but both know about uh the interaction with harmonium and uh trellium or with the malwish and the basin since they're obviously at odds and the malwish may not necessarily know about the harmonium and trellium interaction but now they have the bands of mourning so they kind of have their own deterrent so to speak um but that's kind yep. of where I feel like it's setting things up is there's lots of tensions there that they, you know, you, direct conflict is probably not where either anyone wants to go because they would just get too destructive. But who knows? Yeah, definitely. And I know he's mentioned that Mistborn Era 3 is going to be a bit of a, like uh, tracking down a Mistborn serial killer as kind of the hook to start it off. So- but yeah, so obviously, that might be a little too close to era two for me to be like, oh, we're doing another lawman hunting people down type situation. Yeah. So I'm I'm agreeing with you. I hope that maybe we've transitioned away from that original idea a little bit into more of this bigger picture spy thriller sort of thing would be a very interesting way to take it. For me, uh, the, oh, sorry, go for it there. Uh, I guess my one other question that kind of adjacent to that a little bit is like, and kind of adjacent to the secret history questions and stuff is like, has Seiza just been ignoring the Southern Continent? So he did yeah. a lot to get the basin set up, and nothing for the Southern Continent. It seems like from what little we've seen, mm-hmm. I, it's like I don't know. Like maybe he left it to Kelsier, or maybe that's he's playing it like a control group, kind of like the Lord Ruler. <laughs> it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, giving them the hardships and letting them advance their technology quicker, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, but, or just be like, okay, here's where I meddle, here's where I don't meddle, let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, he's had a lot less experience and time with those Shardic powers than your average Shard bearer out there. Um, 
that's fair. For me, I think the biggest takeaway or question isn't actually here in Mistborn, because I'm very excited for all these things. I'm excited that Era 3 looks like it could be on world. For me, my big question that we'll have to wait a few years for the answer for is what in the world is happening on Roshar? Um, because <laughs> obviously Moonlight was the biggest uh, cro- crossover and cameo from other other books in the Cosmere. But Roshar was everywhere in this book. Um, we had uh, Chauta being served mm-hmm. in Bilming. We mentioned a group of golden-haired refugees on one half of the city who very likely are the Iriali people. Uh, so Adeline's, you know, mother's people, who mm-hmm. Sanderson has mentioned, are kind of on a pilgrimage across worlds. Roshar being like their third world of seven that they plan to settle and live on or something like that. It seems like they've made it to Skadriel. Uh, we've got the whole, what appear to be Horn Eaters in the uh, Milan um, epilogue at the end of the book, trapped in Shadesmar that she's going up to. Uh, it, it could be a lot of other people, but they're, they're our biggest group of red-headed folks that happen to live right next to a perpendicularity. Um, and then the other potential one is those people that show up for Steris to help out there at the end uh, with the, the boats in the harbor. We have Kelsier talking about him not being able to steel push over water. And these people fly out to a harbor out over water after asking if it's legal or not to sink boats (laughs) being set by ghost bloods like is this a group of skybreakers that came over from roshar uh and flying using surge binding like did they get their spren off planet does hoid have his spren with him we we didn't get much of him here so like i think just by nature of where this book falls because this book takes place after stormlight five uh in the like actual timeline of the cosmere we couldn't talk about Roshar too much because he didn't want to spoil the book, but there seem to be a lot of Rosharans off-world now where it seems like they didn't know anything about the greater Cosmere except for some of these secret societies uh, beforehand. So very interesting to me that uh, that doesn't appear to be the case. Like, what in the world is Odium up to? <laughs> What's Dalinar up to? What's going to happen in Stormlight 5 is my biggest takeaway from this book. Yeah, I probably would have been right there with you, except when it comes to Stormlight, I try to conveniently forget about it until it gets closer to time that it's coming out. So otherwise, I just sit there all the time going, all right, when is it coming out? Should I go refresh the webpage to see the <laughs> progress bar? Yeah. The weekly <laughs> updates on YouTube have helped with that a little bit to be like, oh, I, it's just there. Like, I'll see the I'll see the progress or whatever. And it's like, but... Yeah, and I I love that series a lot. So I just like anything else that I'm looking forward to. I try to forget that it exists so I could be pleasantly surprised when it arrives. Gotcha. That's fair. I I am not that way. I'm excited about it all the way up until the point of it arriving. So there's a lot of <laughs> impatience on my end. If it helps for I guess because I, I share both of your thoughts in this regard, and not to make this about Stormlight, but when Rhythm of War was given a release date, I also was like, I can't wait. 
And so I kind of told myself, I'm going to do this so I can refresh myself with the story. But I was like, okay, I have three giant books. If I read them now, like reread them now, that'll get my mind off of it by the time November rolls around. And then, of course, like I blew through them. And then when the preview chapters came out, I was like eating them up because I was just like anything to <laughs> to buy me some time until the release day. Yeah, that's me too, <laughs> for sure. Uh <laughs> So yeah, I'm excited to start that reread here eventually. Uh, four books is a lot now for a reread to catch up, but I'm sure it'll be worth it. The audiobook helps. I mean, I know we've been talking mm-hmm. about Michael Kramer, but that one too, his his wife, because I believe it's a husband and wife yes. yep. duo, right? Yeah, like she she gets more and more because of the introduction of female characters as the books progress. And yeah, I mean, it's I almost enjoy it more than... Actually, I would I don't say I enjoy it more than the reading it, but it certainly enhances the reading because I hear Michael Kramer and Kate Redding in my head when I'm reading the books. Yeah, yeah I, the, I, I'm the I opposite was just gonna say audiobooks make rereads easier every time. <laughs> Sorry, go yeah. ahead. Oh no, you're good. Yeah, I was just saying I, I'm the opposite of you being in a small town, no travel whatsoever to to family and those sorts of things. I just don't have a lot of car time, which I think is where a lot of audiobooks are good. Yeah, <laughs> I do want to try them out someday, but diving into a 40 hour audiobook would be difficult for me in the little snippets of time that I can have it. <laughs> um, uh, mindless tasks is the other great yeah. time to use it. So uh, that's that where a lot of my uh, way of Kings rereads came in too, is by my early career was a lot of basically data entry. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I could listen to a book while I do this. Yeah. So I think we'll cut off the uh, the tabletop talk for this episode here because we're already running pretty long. Uh, so kind of as a last wrap up here on Lost Metal, was there anything that we didn't get to talk about tonight that you really wanted to talk about in regards to the book? Like any uh, thing from the categories that maybe we skipped over or something that just didn't quite fit nicely into any of the, the questions we talked about? I can give two quick ones. Uh, one, this is a very minor thing, but I just wanted to point out that I loved the twist on the joke when you think Wayne is going to get muscled for money because there's these like burly men (laughs) in hats. And then I think the way when Wayne's like, oh shoot, it's the investors. And he like runs away. I was like, that's, that's funny. And you know how they're like, we need you to spend money, please. Yeah. And the way, you know, the way is like. It's kind of like the the Wicked Witch of the West. Like, I'm melting. He's like, don't make me talk about finances. And actually, talking about the future, to go back to another question, I'd love to see more of Wayne's influence, like with the creation of professional sports and whatnot, how he just like creates baseball because he's trying to throw away his money. So I look forward to just seeing that little wink, wink. Oh, there's a guarantee that there is yeah. baseball in era three. Yeah. So I, I just love that, you know, and I hope I hope there's like a little bit of Wayne in there. Like maybe there's like a dumb rule that like lingers on in the sport or something. Uh, and I also just enjoyed the epilogue. I think the epilogue, not the, well, I guess the epilogue with Kelsier, but just the watching the crew come back together and mm-hmm. process Wayne's death. I thought that was just very well handled. Uh, and... I, I'm going to allude to another podcast because I was listening to the 17 chart today and, you know, someone said, like, wouldn't it be funny if uh, some like with Wayne's money 
stretched like decades into the future and some descendant of Marisi is like still getting like pranked on because uh you know wayne told his investors that every six months to steal someone's item or put something in their coat pocket and they're like what if he has so much money that it happens like 50 years from now still so oh, i love that yeah i look, <laughs> look forward to that but yeah i thought the ending was very that like post ending was very well handled it was very touching yeah, since we didn't really talk about the Wayne ending too much here, uh, when I talked about Kaladin jumping into the pit, like, and we all knew that it was going to happen, at, at least for me, this was pretty telegraphed that Wayne was going to die in this book, a heroic death from very early on, uh, in, in my opinion. But I still think it was executed well. I, I wasn't surprised that it happened. I was a little bit surprised how it happened and how ultimately at peace and how much I liked it. Yeah, I think Wayne's ability to kind of like uh, catch people off guard is just very entertaining. And since you mentioned like his sacrifice, watching him kind of throw Sazed off where he's like, I need your hat. And Sazed's like, I don't wear a hat. Also, I'm God. And then he's like, well, you're God. Get, you know, do your best shot. And, you know, Sazed's like, fair point. And, you know, gives him a divine hat, if you will. I yep. just, I, I enjoy seeing him, like, even he can catch God off guard. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily caught on that he was telegraphed to die in this, but it, um, I like Wade's character for the most part, but some of his humor, I roll my eyes at and find a little off-putting at times. I think it goes all smidge too far sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was surprised, like, my reaction to it is like, oh, man, I am actually pretty sad about this. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I... Sanderson really likes these quippy characters. Uh, mm-hmm. and, sometimes, oh, yeah. and sometimes they work because you don't get that much of them. Like, I don't love the Lopin <laughs> in Stormlight, <laughs> but he's usually in small enough doses that he's fine. Uh, where Wayne, I think, gets a lot more screen time, particularly in this book, to the point where I don't know that it was quite grating for me, but it it sometimes was a little much for me. But but his ending was a, a worthy ending for a for a hero in a big epic fantasy series for sure. How about you, Matt? Any uh any things that we didn't get to touch on that you really wanted to to throw out there? Uh, I think we just did. This is my I thought I thought it was about reacting to Wayne's death and at the end how surprised how surprised I was that it was like ah oh, dang this is, they, I probably would have been more upset if anyone else had died but I was still surprised because like I said sometimes Wayne just goes a little too far and it's like okay come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think the last one for me is that like I, I think that it's pretty obvious that well, not just obvious. They they told us straight up that Wax got a little bit of a hit of uh, separated out lorassium there at the end, or when and when the lab exploded. So Kelsier and crew might be getting what they're wanting, since uh, Steris and him wanted to have a third kid, right? So there are potential genes for a full Mistborn entering the world again for the first time since Sazed's ascension. Um, so that'll be something to look out for also in Mistborn Era 3. I would not be shocked or surprised to see one of Wax and Ceres' descendants. Like you said, maybe it's just a generation or two down the line, 
or maybe it is still the couple hundred years uh, that he was originally planning. But in some capacity, I think that that sort of smoking gun of him burning iron at some point and burning pewter at some point is going to pay off in the next era. I also burned tin a little bit too, right? So he yeah. was trying to see further and right. the mist was obstructing his view. He saw through it. Yeah, yep, exactly. So I think I think that'll be a big point for Era 3. I think we didn't have families of major characters from Era 1 so much move forward into Era 2. I don't think that will be the case in Era 3. I think these guys will play some capacity, either themselves or their direct descendants. And there's nothing to say that someone else wouldn't discover you could split Harmonium either. The Chondra definitely know. And, you know, Kelsier knows that they got ATM for Marsh. So he may he may try to get create ATM anyway, because it's just that powerful and find out that Zazid lied about the the Rassium. Cool. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for for coming on here and talking some Cosmere with me. It was a lot of fun. I thank would you so much for organizing this. Yeah, I would future. say that I at least had enough fun that potentially when Secret Project One or Two rolls around, it might be fun to reconvene and discuss some of these things in our uh, what Brandon is calling the Year of Sanderson here, with us getting four books from him. Uh, kind of in a book club sort of status. If you were interested wait, wait, wait. in doing that, did anyone that. not get the books for Secret Projects One through Four? I did not, but I was going to find some means of hopefully reading them. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I did the uh, the ebooks uh, is the the tier that I pledged. I did ebook and audiobook bundle because I I did the math. I was like, this is pretty much the standard price for ebook and. Or it was like the standard price for audiobooks. Like if you did Audible, $15, one credit each for four books. Like then mm. you get basically the ebook for free. Sure. So I was like, this works. Cool. Well, they, they are releasing them out to the public just a couple months after they come out. So even if we maybe come back in theme with the second feed here on COTR, a little bit tardy to the conversation, <laughs> it could be fun to do. On Sanderson, uh, Usually releases he ebooks without DRM, so you know, like like physical books. Maybe we can lend a copy to Mark there. So oh well, there it. you go. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> cool. I won't well, say no. <laughs> well, thanks for everybody out there listening to that stuck around with us. I'm sure the second feed will be back here with some more Lord of the Rings content, as well as maybe some more content like this in the future. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Good night.